Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Hey, I'm going to nerd out on some history for just a minute. So we jumped into this new series for 2022, and we're walking through the Bible together. And we've been at it for a couple of months. And I've wondered if any of you have wondered, did this stuff really happen? Because there's some stories, especially early in the pages of the Bible, that are pretty hard to believe, right? And you might find yourself going, how do I know that this stuff really took place? Good question. I'm glad you asked. So it's a little bit complicated the way we look at history and we match it up with the Bible. See, we have lots of historical records. We have documents that authenticate many of the events that took place in what we call the New Testament, stuff that happened a couple thousand years ago around Jesus' time. We can show other documents outside of the Bible that confirm the events described in the Bible. It's a little trickier when we get to the Old Testament. See, the truth is there's not tons of historical records that authenticate the events described in much of the Old Testament. It's not because those things didn't happen. It's just that we don't have that many historical records from that period at all. People weren't writing down tons of stuff. It's not like, you know, when Abraham left home around 2100 BC or so, no historian was like, gee, we should write this down so we know what date and time it happened. The world just didn't work like that. So we don't have tons of records, but I want to show you something because I think it's really cool. They found this giant tablet. This tablet is called a steel, and steels are basically like ancient history books. This one happens to be called the Merneptah steel, and it was found in Egypt, and it describes Egyptian history, events about Egypt that are happening a little over 3,000 years ago. It describes wars. It describes just regular life, what it means to live in Egypt. And as you go through it, it's all about Egypt, all about Egypt. And you get to the last few lines on this tablet. And there is a reference to a group of people, to a nation of people called Israel. And it says about Israel, it says that Israel ran out of food. Now, why is that really cool? Because what does the Bible say about why the Egyptians and the Israelites crossed paths? It says there was a famine, right? The Israelite people went to Egypt to get food because there was a famine. And I tell you that because I think we, we need some level of confidence that when we're reading the Bible, it's like, yes, there's not a bunch of historical documents out there that confirm these events. But the ones that we have found totally authenticate what the Bible claims. And so as you're reading your Bible, you can be flipping through the pages and have confidence to go, these aren't fairy tales. These aren't things that happened, you know, long, long ago in a far off land. These are real people in real places. And these are real events happening. And so we can have confidence as we read the scriptures. We go through the Bible. These things really happen. Now, all that being said, it's not historical records and facts that draw us to God, is it? It's faith. In fact, the reason that you're even here today or you're joining us online is because you have found or you're looking for someone or something to put your faith in. Historical records help. They're, they're cool data, facts, evidence. That kind of stuff is confirming but it's not going to directly point us to a relationship with God. That's faith. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God 
that we must believe in his existence to come to him. It's not historical records. It's not facts that's going to convince you. It is faith that draws you into a relationship with God. So today we're going to talk about what does it look like to live a life marked by faith. So if you brought a Bible with you today, we're in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. Exodus is near the beginning of your Bible, and we're tracking a group of people called the Israelites. And just like we read on the steel, the Israelites found themselves in Egypt. There was a famine, and so God took them to Egypt where they would find food. They thrived there as a people, and God rescued them from Egypt. And now they find themselves in the Sinai Desert, and they're waiting to hear from God. They're waiting to know from God what's next. Now, they don't know it at the time, but the Israelites will be waiting for 40 years in the desert. Not 40 days, not 40 weeks or months, for 40 years. And life's going to get a little bit boring because it's the same thing every day for 40 years. They even eat the same food every day for 40 years, manna and quail. I mean, manna and quail is good, but manna and quail, manna and quail, manna and quail, manna and quail. Gets old, right? Like, you think about your favorite meal. I'm from the West Coast. We eat In-N-Out Burger. We love some In-N-Out Burger, right? And we've come to the East Coast, and people tell me there's something like it here. Stop saying that. You're embarrassing yourself. There's nothing like it on the East Coast. We eat In-N-Out Burger. I could eat it every day for a while, but 40 years of the same thing every day, every day, every day. This is the Israelites. They're wandering in the deserts. They're waiting to hear from God. But it's not purposeless. God has a reason. He's going to use this time to grow their faith. He's going to use this time to stretch what they believe, to increase their reliance and their trust on him. So let me show you their story. And hopefully somewhere, sort of as we look at their story, in the middle of their story, we might see something about ourselves and learn something about what it is to live a life marked by faith. You ready? Exodus 19, verse 1. It says, on the first day, of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt. On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. It's about 50 days after they've left Egypt. God rescued them. He brought them through the Red Sea. They're hanging out in the desert. They're camped there. They're waiting to hear from God. They're waiting on word of what do we do next. They've arrived at this place called Mount Sinai. Now, this really cool thing is happening behind the scenes. If you're going to trust someone, you want them to prove themselves to you, right? So if you have a, a friend that you call faithful, you call them that because they've proven themselves to be faithful. They've been with you through something difficult. They've gone through a hard time with you, right? So God, in the same way, God wants us to have faith in him, but it's not blind, sort of ignorant faith. God proves himself and then says, trust me, proves who he is and what he can do, and then says, follow me. So there's this thing that's going on here. It's really cool. When Moses first met God, it was on Mount Sinai. Moses was taking care of his animals. He's a shepherd. He was taking care of his animals, and he looked across the way, and there was a bush that was on fire. But it wasn't burning up. So he's like, that's weird. So he walks over there, and out of that bush, the voice of God speaks to him. And he has a conversation. And God says to Moses, Moses, you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to save my people. And listen to what he says after that. Way back in Exodus 3, verse 12, God says, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, 
You will worship God on this mountain. So he says, you're going to Egypt. You're going to rescue the people. And after that, you're going to come back to Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is this mountain in the desert. To be honest, we're not totally sure where Mount Sinai is. We have a couple of options, and historians and archaeologists will argue over where it is. But it would look something like this. And the first time Moses met God was probably down here in the valley. He's taking care of his animals. He sees the burning bush. He walks over, and he speaks with God. Years later, after they've come out of Egypt, they've done the the Red Sea thing. They're now in the desert, and the entire nation of Israel is camped out in this space. It's on this mountain that Moses will meet with God, but don't miss what happened. God called his shot. God told Moses exactly what he was going to do, and he did it. Moses, you're going to go down to Egypt. You're going to rescue my people. And after that, you're going to come back and meet with me on this mountain. And now he's proven that he can be trusted. Exactly what I said was going to happen, Moses. That is what happens. And again, it's because God doesn't call us to blind faith. He goes, let me show you. Let me prove myself to you. Moses, I told you you'd be back here again, and here we are. I wonder when they came into the, they're walking through the desert, and they see Mount Sinai in front of them. I wonder if Moses remembered. I wonder if he goes, oh, yeah. God told me that we'd be back here. I wonder if he told his brother Aaron, Aaron, you're not going to believe this. This, this is the place. God told me I was going to go to Egypt, and he'd, he'd come back here and meet with me here. I hope he called together the the leaders of Israel and said, guys, I got to tell you about my God. I got to tell you about what this God did. I hope that he did that. I hope he was excited by it. He remembered God's faithfulness. I, I wish we did more of that. I wish we celebrated God's faithfulness with each other in our lives. But the whole, the the point of what is happening here, don't miss it, is that God is proving he can be trusted. See, he's going to ask the Israelites to take a pretty big leap of faith. He's going to ask them to continue in their faith towards him. But first, he shows them, you can trust me. You're not just following me foolishly. I've proven myself to you. I can be trusted. Verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, and he said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you're to tell the people of Israel that you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Moses, remember how I brought you out of Egypt? Remember how you were just a small group of people? You were just a couple of families facing a famine, and I took you there, and you survived, and you didn't just survive. You thrived. I built you into an entire nation, and then I called you out. Remember when the Egyptian army chased you down, and I parted the Red Sea? Remember three days into this journey when everybody was complaining because they didn't have any water and I cracked open that rock so that you could drink water freely? Remember how I've provided for you all along the way? And he says this. He says, I did all of that so that I could bring you to myself. It wasn't random. I was trying to show you who I am. He's calling on his past. He's referencing his track record. Moses, do you remember? Look at the things that I've done over time, how I've brought you closer to me so that you can trust me more. You can have faith in me. Now, he's speaking to the Israelites, of course. He's speaking to Moses. He's going to go and talk to the Israelites. But isn't he talking to us, too? 
I mean, he's telling Moses, you can trust me. I've proven myself to you. I'm not asking you to follow me blindly. I'm not asking you to be ignorant or foolish. I'm asking you to look at my track record, look at who I am, and look at the things that I've done, and then make a decision about whether you can trust me. Isn't he asking us the same question to rely on his track record? Has God provided for you? Has God comforted you? Has God ever protected you? Has God ever gotten you through something difficult that you didn't think you were going to make it through? Has God kept you safe? He points to his past. And again, he's doing this because he's trying to build their faith. He's going to ask them to take a step in faith. Verse 5, God says, now, if you will obey me and fully obey me fully and keep my commandments, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses, these are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. He says, if you obey me, this is the relationship he's inviting them into. If you will obey me and keep my covenant, God gives us this real, not sugar-coated, just raw explanation of faith what it means to put your faith in him. He says that faith means, literally, faith means obeying him. Faith in God is obeying God. You know, we take the word faith, and it sort of seems like this kind of ethereal word. It's just sort of floating out there in the mist. It's warm. It's fuzzy. It's ambiguous. God goes, no, 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 no. The faith that I'm describing is not a feeling. The faith that I'm describing is evidenced in action. It's believing in someone so much that you would actually live based on that, that you would actually act on it. Not long ago, my kids learned about the trust fall. You remember that, where you stand there with your arms out and you have to fall back, and someone stands behind you and is going to catch you, right? Well, it's one thing to tell someone, I trust you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure my brother or my sister or my friend is going gonna, is gonna to catch me. No problem. It's a whole different thing to be standing in your kitchen and actually start to fall and not step back. And you're thinking about, I'm going to crack my head on something, right? It's a different thing to actually go through with it. That's faith. It's easy just to go, oh, yeah, yeah I have faith. Oh, yeah, I believe that if I fell, this person would catch me. But faith is evidenced in action. God is saying the kind of faith that I want you to have is the faith that brings you to a place of obedience that you actually do what I ask you to do. I mean, try and just give you an example. When you were a kid, when you're a little kid, you think your parents know everything. And then one day you wake up and you decide that they're idiots, right? And they know nothing. But even in that season... You have to decide if you're going to trust them and if you're going to obey them. Not because you like what they say, not because you think they're right. No, no, no. You've made it really clear. You think they're idiots, but because you might actually believe they know more than you or they can see higher and wider than you or that they have your best interests in mind. So you're 16 and they give you a curfew. You have to decide, am I going to obey that curfew? Not because I like it. No, curfew stinks. Your friends get to stay out later than you. But because I believe that they know better than me or they have my best interest in mind, they can see something that I can't. Life experience has opened their eyes more than mine. And it's one thing to go, yeah, yeah, I'll be home on time. You're walking out the door and one of your parents says, hey, remember your curfew is, you know, whatever. You go, yeah, yeah, I'll be home. It's one thing to say it. 
but to actually follow through on it, to leave your friends who are still going to have fun and go, no, I believe that my parents actually know best. They know something I don't. That's what God is asking us to do. He's saying to the Israelites, you show me that you have placed your faith in me by obeying me. It's evidence in action, not just that, 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 that lip service. Like, no, it's, it's actually lived out. Now, here's the sticky part. Moses goes, okay, God, obey you. Um, obey what? And God goes, uh, everything I say. And Moses goes, oh, that sounds like a lot. Like, give me some examples God, of the things that you might say. And God's like, it doesn't really really matter what I say. You either are going to agree to obey me or you're not. You either trust me, which will lead you to obedience, or or you don't trust me. And isn't this like the epicenter of what it makes, what makes it so difficult to follow God? Isn't this the crux of, of what's so hard in following Jesus, because sometimes we're, we're, we're submitting to something that we don't even wholly know what we're submitting to. I mean, like for the Israelites, God goes, you, if you want to have faith in me, you want to have this relationship with me, you will obey my laws. Guess what? He hasn't even told them what the laws are yet. That's in chapter 20. We're still in chapter 19. And he's like, if you have faith in me, you show me that by, by keeping my law. This is hard. It's hard to trust God because in some ways we don't know what we're even submitting to. We only get to know who we're submitting to. Faith in God doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to know everything that you might go through in life. It means that you know who you will go through it with. Many of you are married. When you got married, you took vows. Remember, richer for poor sickness and in health. You didn't take those vows because they were intended to describe what you would experience in your life. You took those vows because they described who you would experience life with. God goes, Israelites, I'm inviting you into this relationship with me. It's based on faith. I can't tell you everything that you're going to experience. I'm just asking you to trust me. And I'm asking you to obey me. Because no matter what happens, I'm going to go through it with you. That's a pretty big leap, God. When a friend says, hey, will you do me a favor? Don't you go, what's the favor? Before you say yes, right? God's sort of asking them to commit. But remember, it's not blind faith. God has a track record. He's shown himself to be trustworthy. I brought you out of Egypt. I provided for you. Moses, I told you we'd be back on this mountain. Here we are. We've come full circle. I've shown you that you can trust me. Not blind, dumb faith, but based on who God is, and what God has done. So he invites them into this relationship. He says, I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. And then he gives them sort of the other side of the relationship. He goes, here's what it means for you. And he lists these three things. He says, you'll be my treasured possession. You'll be my kingdom of priests and you'll be my holy nation. What is God saying here? Let me just work through each of these real fast. The first one is, he says, you're my treasured possession. And what God is really saying is that the Israelites are precious to him. God says the Israelites are his chosen people. Now, why does God choose Israel? Why doesn't he choose 
the Babylonians or the Chinese or the Assyrians or the Egyptians? Is it because the Jewish people are better because the Israelites are more deserving? No, it's just God's providence in his love and mercy. He decides to choose the Israelites. He calls them his treasured possession. You think about that. That's something you hold on to. That's something you, 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 you keep for yourself. You want to keep safe. Fast forward to the New Testament. It says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, but anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is now part of the family of God. You and I are called precious to God, but it starts in the Old Testament with the Israelites. And we don't need to chase this too far, but I think, I think it's worth saying there's something to me. There's something about the Israelites. If you look through history and you even look at today, there's something about the Israelites that seems to me they have a special place in God's heart. Because throughout history, people have wanted to wipe them off the map and have tried many times. Even today, if you look at a map of where the people of Israel live, everyone around them hates them and is violent towards them. And yet God protects them and doesn't just protect them, but they've actually thrived. I can't explain that. I just am observing that there's something, I think, even today where God has a special place in his heart for the Israelites. He goes on and he says, you will be to me a kingdom of priests. What's significant about a priest? A priest has access to God. In every religion, you have a religious leader, a, a priest, someone who has access, a special sort of access to God. God is saying to the Israelites, if you will have this relationship with me, you will put your faith in me and trust me, you will have access to me in a way that other nations don't. Fast forward to the New Testament. Check out 1 Peter 2 on your own. Peter picks up on this language, and he, he applies it to you and I. He says, we are a kingdom of priests. We don't need a priest to access God. We have, through Jesus Christ, we have full access to God. But he initiated that through first the Israelites. He says that you will be my holy nation. And what he's saying here is he's giving the people purpose. The nation of Israel, God's people, will be used by God for his kingdom and his purpose in the world. Nothing is random. Everything has a purpose, even waiting 40 years on God in the desert. There's a purpose. So God offers this relationship. If you'll put your faith in me, if you'll trust me, you'll have access to me. You'll have purpose in your life. I will protect you. You are my chosen people. And he tells Moses, take my offer to the people. Walk down the mountain, talk to the people, and offer it to them. So that's what Moses does. He comes down the mountain, and he makes the offer to the Israelite people. Here's what God is offering. And they accept. In fact, they respond. Uh, it says, they, will, they say, we will do everything that the Lord has said. I'm, they're lying, but they have good intentions, like, just like all of us, right? They go sideways, but they want a relationship with God. They want access to God. They want the promises of God. They want to be chosen and protected and cared for by God, and they're willing to be obedient. They're willing to follow his word. And I think what God has just done, he's pushed this question to Moses. He said, Moses, take this question out to my people. I think he asked the same question of you and me. He says, you've seen what I've done. Will you trust me? You've seen my track record. You've seen what I've done. Will you trust me? 
Again, God's not asking anyone to follow him blindly. Following God does not mean throw your brain out the window. No, it means look at the evidence, look at the facts, look at who God is, who he claims to be, what he's done, and then make a decision about whether you will trust him. And he says, trusting me means obeying me. And it's really hard because we don't know where that might lead us and we really want to be in control. Trusting me, he says, means obeying me. Verse 10, keep going. And the Lord spoke again. This time he says to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. That just means prepare them, get them, they're going to worship, get them ready. And then he says this weird thing. He says, have them wash their clothes. Why does God tell the people to wash their clothes? Well, the truth is it actually doesn't matter why. Because remember what they agreed to? That they would obey God in anything that he said. He said, if you have faith in me, if you trust me, the way you show that is you obey me. Now, God's proven himself. He's, he's not crazy. He's not a maniacal dictator. He's good. He's not out to harm anybody. And so when God says, wash your clothes, you either believe him that you're supposed to do that or you don't. You either wash your clothes or you don't. And I think what God is doing here, he's showing us something about faith. And yes, this is a purification ritual for worship. Yeah, but I think he's showing us something about faith. I think God is showing us that he wants our faith in him, our relationship with him, to saturate every aspect of our life. That there's no part of your life that God doesn't want to speak into and be a part of. He wants to be so close to you. He wants to have you put your faith in him, even in your daily chores. God doesn't want to just meet with you in a temple or a church just you know, on Sunday mornings. He wants to wash clothes with you. He wants to be in every part of your life. He wants, he wants his presence to penetrate every aspect of our lives. He wants you to trust him, not just with your eternity and to deal with your sin. God wants you to put your faith in him and trust him in, in your actions and your words and your thoughts and your relationships and how you spend your money and where you go on vacation. And we have this really great way of sort of putting God over here. We go, we have this religion compartment. God, you get in this box and then we'll put the lid on. And you just, if you stay in your lane, you handle eternity, you handle my sin, that sort of stuff. But all this stuff over here, like I'll handle all these things. And God goes, no, I want to saturate your life, every area of it. And what the Israelites do is the same thing that we do. God, I have faith in you. I have faith in you for eternity. I have faith in you to deal with my sin. But God, my career, that's mine. God, my money, I earned that. God, my sexuality, get your hands off it. God, you handle all the religious stuff. You live in this compartment over here. You deal with my sin. I trust you for that. But I got this other stuff, and that is mine. And God goes, I don't want to live like that. I don't want that kind of relationship. I want access to everything. I want to so saturate your life that even you invite me into your laundry. I want you to have faith when you're doing the dishes. I want you to have faith when you're changing diapers. I want you to have faith when you're driving in your car to work. I want you to have faith when you're fighting temptation. I want you to trust me when your bank account is full and when it's empty. I want you to have faith in me. 
when you get promoted and when you get laid off. I want you to trust me when you're sick. I want you to follow me when that person you love walks out of your life. Again, it's not blind faith. God never asks us to disconnect our brain. He goes, look at my track record. Look at who I am. Look at what I've said that I would do and what I've done and decide. Can I be trusted? Finally, God and Moses are going to meet together on the mountain. We're not even at the good part yet. Listen to what happens. Verse uh, 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, a loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Verse 18. It says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. When we talk about the God in whom we put our faith, this is him. We want to talk about this God who's approachable. And yes, through Christ, God is approachable. But the God that I put my faith in is, is, is not my buddy God. He's not my friend God. He's not my co-pilot God. He's not the big guy upstairs or whatever cute names you might have for him. He's God Almighty who shakes the mountains, who his presence and his voice cause people to tremble. And that is a God who's worth putting your faith in. And God, God makes himself available to us through Jesus Christ. And he asks us to trust him. And he asks us to follow him and obey him, not blindly, not foolishly, because of who he is. I wonder for all of us today, if we all ask the question, are there areas of my life that God hasn't saturated? I mean, we'd all say yes. None of us is doing this perfectly, right? There are parts of our life that our faith in God has not yet resonated. Oh, sure, God's a part of our life in lots of ways until you get to the fence that we've put up. And you, you let him look over occasionally, but you don't let him in, right? This is for all of us. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite you this morning, as we finish up, in just a minute, I'm going to invite you just to kind of be still, and we're just going to talk to God and ask God, are there parts of my life that I haven't let you in? I've said off-limits. Are there ways that faith hasn't reached into the depths of my soul? And I'm walking not by faith, but by my own sight, God. But I need to say this. When we have conversations around faith, here's what we all do. We internalize this and we go, yeah, if I just had more faith. You're right, if I just believed a little bit more, if I was just more obedient. Like, get out of here with that. This isn't shame, this isn't invitation. In fact, Jesus says, wherever you are on your journey of faith, bring it to me. He goes, you could have faith so small, it's like a mustard seed. Watch what I can do with it. So we're just going to ask God, are there parts of our life that we haven't opened up to him in faith? And for some of you, maybe today, your step of faith is that you've never placed your trust in him. So today you... You need to begin a relationship with Jesus. There's no magical prayer. There's no formula. It's just quietly talking to God and go, God, show me what it means to follow you. God, I want hope. God, I believe that you're good and you sent your son for me and I want to follow you. You just talk to him. But for each of us, I wonder, 
if there's a way that we need to ask God today, God, are there parts of my life that I've kept hidden from you? Are there ways that faith hasn't saturated? God, that your presence hasn't penetrated into my heart because I'm stubborn and I'm hard-hearted or I just haven't seen it. So I want to invite you just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a minute. And I want you to just talk to God. And I want you to ask him, God, would you show me ways that I haven't let you in? God, would you show me ways that I'm, I'm living by sight and not by faith or I'm not obeying you? And, and I'm going to shut up and give you just a minute and then I'll close this out in prayer. God, in the Bible, King David writes, search me and know my heart. God, would you right now search us? Would you show us ways, God, that we've held back from trusting you? Would you show us ways that we've spouted off about our faith but not lived it out in obedience? God, show us ways that our heart is hard. We've been resistant to you. And God, even now in this moment, would you so saturate our lives with your presence? Would we know that your presence is not something limited inside of a building? You want to go with us in our chores, in our jobs, in our dating relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, as we parent. God, forgive us for ways that we've kept you out, that we've put you in a little box on the side and told you to stay in your lane. God, where we've put our faith in the wrong thing, help us to put it in you right now. You ask us to come to you, even with just a little, just with our broken selves, and so we do, God. We come to you now and ask you to draw us closer to you, God to help us to see that the things that you've done in our life are to bring us nearer you. Stretch us to grow us so that we'd trust you more. God, help us today to trust you and help us because we believe, but when we don't, help us, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.